couple of quick announcements before we jump into our message today. We do have a 101 church membership class. If you've been wanting to join the church, um, everybody's required to go through that. I took the class, my wife, my children, everybody that joins our church goes through that. And we'll feed you out here in what we call our living room. If you have kids, it's okay. We have uh, we have some folks that will watch them and feed them. It takes about an hour. And as soon as we get folks out of the living room, then we get that class started. You're welcome to join us. Uh, just come let me know so we make sure we have enough food and enough child care uh, before everybody gets out of here today. Um, our small groups are starting two weeks. Um, is that right? Yeah, two weeks from today. And um, one of the things that, that you need to understand is we offer these Bible studies for you so that you can um, not only get to know God better, but to know your purpose better. One of the things that we're going to offer is called um, Network. It's a spiritual gift study led by Jeff Gillis. And, and one of the things you need to understand is God shaped you. We've been passing out these puzzle pieces. If you hadn't gotten one, there's a bucket up here. You need to get a puzzle piece. And when God, when you begin serving, when you plug into the church, then sometime just very um, non, nonchalantly, very discreetly come up here and lay it on the altar that you're plugged in, that you're a part of what God is doing at New Life. If you don't understand where you're supposed to work, then you need to come to our network study. It's one of the best studies I've ever done. Um, one of the things that really helped me understand that I was supposed to be a pastor, I was a youth minister, been a youth minister for many years. There's something in that study called an observation assessment. You're going to hand that out to three of the people that know you best and that you respect their walk with Christ. And they're going to, they're going to write down some things. They're going to answer some questions about you, how they see God's gifting in you. One of the things that God does is he confirms your spiritual gift through other believers. That's part of what the church does. It confirms or, or denies that you have that gift. And so, um, my, my two best friends and my wife not talking to each other, they went through this observation assessment. When they got finished, it said, what do you see the number one job that this person should be doing in the kingdom of God? All three of them put pastor at the top. That's what kind of got my mind going. Uh, maybe it's time that I do this if others that, that I respect are seeing that in me. So you'll get one of those. You'll actually get three of those. You'll hand them out. That's part of the process of discovering your spiritual gift. You have at least one. And then, um, you know, you're shaped. Spiritual gifts, heart, uh, abilities, personality, experiences, all of that shape. God shaped you. He didn't mess up. And he has a purpose for you. And you're going to plug in. We're going to help you discover that through network. Second study we're going to have is love and respect. One of the best um, ever that I've gone through with um, for marriage. If you think you're going to be married, if you if you have any relationships with the opposite sex, you need to go through this um, this study because it's going to teach you about the crazy cycle where if he feels disrespected, he acts unloving. Um, when she feels unloved, she acts disrespectful. And this this crazy cycle, we're going to teach you how to get off that crazy cycle and do things that, that honor God. Um, I'm going to be teaching a class called Foundations. We're going to be looking at what we believe about certain things. We're going to look at uh, four, four studies on the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? Why do we think it's relevant? Why do we think it's it's authentic? Why do we believe that this is God's word? We're going to look at uh, four sessions on God, who who God is. Um, then then we'll be towards Christmas, and then we'll have four sessions in the spring on Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit, and then next uh, next fall, uh, a year from now, we'll be continuing with creation and salvation, and the second coming, and the afterlife, and all of those core doctrines of of the faith. I'll be leading those, and we'll be doing others as necessary, and we also will have. Um, Financial Peace University. That's one of the things that that we try to offer at least once a year. Uh, Men's and women's Bible studies are starting 
the 12th and 13th of September. The women meet on Tuesday nights. The men meet on uh, Wednesdays. And we need to know if you're coming so we have enough books. Women are studying Kingdom Woman by uh, Priscilla Evans and Tony, isn't it? Both of them. And then the men are studying Kingdom Man by Tony Evans. Tony's one of my favorite all-time preachers. I've heard him several times. I listen to him uh, sometimes on the radio. Sometimes I download his MP3s. Uh, I've heard him speak, and he is fantastic. Um, So sign up so we know we have enough books. Okay, I need to ask you a question today, and you have to be honest. God is watching. How many of you love stuff? How many of you love buying stuff on sale? How many of you have discovered this demon? Two-day shipping is a dadgum game changer, isn't it? You don't have to leave home. I only go to a brick-and-mortar store if Amazon doesn't have it. And it's not prime, two-day shipping. I'm not going to wait three days. So I'll go to a brick and mortar store if I can't get it in two days. And I, I, I just, and, and my whole family is like this. We get stuff. I get stuff for the church. We deliver it to the house instead of here. Cause sometimes it sits and they don't know where to deliver it. And it sits in weird places. So we have everything. The church, we have Amazon prime. I order stuff all the time and we don't even know. And we'll get a package and everybody's excited to like, Oh, it's for dad or, you know, cause everybody has their own little deal. It's for Rachel. It's for Janie. Everybody loves to get stuff, right? We love stuff. And whether you realize it or not, God's word has a lot to say about stuff. Let me, let me tell you about it. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. There is no other religious book in any other religion in history that has this kind of thing. Because you take all 40 authors and you take the central theme of every book of the Bible, it's all about a passionate God, a loving God, pursuing a relationship with sinful people. There's no other book like it. And here's what the Bible says about the Bible. This is in 2 Peter 1.20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture. Some people believe this is just talking about prophetic utterances in the Old Testament, but it says prophecy of Scripture, literal translation. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This is a big deal. Because Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, everything in it comes through one author. It is his interpretation of things that cannot be backed up by archaeology, by science, by any other witnesses. It's by his own interpretation. Charles Taz Russell started the Jehovah's Witnesses. Everything in the Jehovah's Witness belief system started with a man doing his own interpretation without any scientific fact, without any... He said that that his uh, original translation of the Bible was Greek. No Greek scholar would sign off on it. In fact, they said it was embarrassing his translation. So no Greek scholar that he quoted ever uh, attributed their name to his translation of the Bible. It was his own interpretation. Um, even the Muslim religion started with Muhammad in a cave somewhere. It is, it is one man's interpretation of things that happen. The scripture is not a man's interpretation. The scripture, the Holy Bible is the only one that has 40 different authors over 1500 years that were not interpreting their own things. Look what it says next for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This, this indicates that there's a dual authorship of the Bible. God's Holy Spirit 
um, worked in, in men's hearts and minds to write down. God didn't dictate everything, but he used their unique personalities. When you read, you see different styles. If I was to write something and Chad was to write something, Jeff was to write something, we, you would see our different styles. God used the different styles, the personalities, the shape of each man who wrote one of the books of the Bible or letters in the Bible, documents that make up these 66 books of the Bible. You'll see that, that each, that he used each one of them, their unique personality and experiences to copy his word. It is authentic. It, the Holy Spirit made sure that what you and I have today, although translations from the original languages, these are authentic. These are, are reliable scriptures. Now, look what God says about his word. This is in Isaiah 55, 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. What he's saying is there's rains. We're seeing a lot of rains in South Texas. He said, rain comes down, it waters the earth. If their seeds have been planted, those seeds germinate. They do their thing, they grow. God says, that's the image I'm using. Then look what he says about his, his work. He says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, or some of you memorize this as void. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is why we go over God's word every week because we believe it feeds you. We believe that there's something that, that all of you need. In fact, we believe there's a promise of God in scripture for every problem you will ever face. And God says he has a purpose for his word. The purpose for his word today, we're going to talk about stuff. There's 66 in the books in the Bible and God talks about stuff over 2000 times in these 66 books. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. God talks about stuff. In the New Testament, there are over 2,000 verses about stuff. Is God obsessed with this? No. He knew you and I would be. So he has a lot to say about it. Think about it like this. How many of you are parents and you have a child that's at least two years old? All right, okay, or two years old or older. Think of it this way. When your child was born, that child was perfect. It was better than any other child that had ever been born. Could do no wrong. I mean, even when it spit up, that's okay. It's just beautiful, and I love this baby, and there's pictures of me with every one of my babies in my, in my recliner asleep because those babies keep you up at night, but man, if they'll sleep, I just... Even with my, with my grandson, I got a picture with Waylon on my chest, and we're both just crashed out. One of my favorite things to do. But if you have a child, something happened between 18 and 24 months that convinced you that your child is indeed a sinner, right? No, no, no. Let's say you have somebody over or your kid goes back to, to children's church and your child is playing and having a good time and they're just looking great and, and they have toys all around them. They may all be, be focusing on one, but they have toys around them in their cone of uncertainty. Now that means I might want to play with that sometime. I don't want to play with it right now, but don't jack with the stuff in my cone of uncertainty. What happens if another child walks up and spies something in your child's cone of uncertainty and they go to reach for it? What is the very first thing your beautiful child says? Mind. And depending on your child's personality, they may pick up that toy and go up and whack them as if to say, don't even think about it because it's mine. I can, I can never think about this without thinking of this. One of my favorite scenes all time. And every parent has been at that point. Would you just shut up? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, the, the, the problem is 
immature children are going to say, this is mine. And, and more than I even need is mine, mine, mine. We see it all the time with kids. The sad thing is when we see it in adults, this is mine. This is mine. It's not, it's not so cute. It's not really cute in children. It's really not cute in adults. The first sin that showed up in all of us, almost all of us was selfishness. And selfishness takes a heart away from God. And God is obsessed with your heart and obsessed with winning your heart. And he knows that stuff is the greatest competition to your heart. So he talks about it over 2000 times in his word. What he's doing is he's showing us that this word gives us an idea of how we should view God and how we should view money. Jesus even said, you cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. You'll hate the one you'll love the other. God says, you need to put me first. Everything else needs to come after that. Now, most people, most Christians I know live under the scarcity cycle. We talked about this two weeks ago. We're going to look at it again. God provides. We believe this is the same. God provides whether you're a Christ follower or not. If the scripture is true, if it's authoritative, God provides even the breath that we have. God provides. We consume. When we consume, what happens? We, we usually consume more than we have, so we lack. When we lack, the dominant um, emotion that comes out is what? Fear. We're afraid that we're not going to have enough money. And you know how we medicate our fear? We consume more. That's what plastic was made for. We consume more and we get in this cycle where we, we consume and we lack and we fear and we consume and we lack and we fear and it goes over and over again. Now, you need to understand this about the scarcity cycle. It starts in your mind, not in your wallet. The scarcity cycle starts in your mind, not in your wallet. One of the scriptures that I, that I put down for this is Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Or another translation says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Every decision, every action, every attitude that, that emanates from you started with a thought in your mind. If you think of something long enough, you will follow through. It's why Satan uh, tempts you over and over and over again. He knows you're weak. He knows if you think about it, if he can capture your mind, he can capture your body. And so the forces of heaven and the forces of hell are battling over your mind. And it's why you have to focus on the right things. We're talking about being generous. We're talking about bringing back to God what is his. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, so this is what you do. This is not what I want to do. Some of you don't want to be generous. Now, I told you last week, every tither I know, the person who gives 10% of their income, every tither I know has the same testimony. They say, God has blessed us, everyone. Every non-tither I know says, I can't afford to tithe. Now, think about this. I think it's possible, I I think it's probable, that the difference in the tither and the non-tither is what they think about God, what they think about God's word. We prove through our actions what we believe about God and his word. As a man thinks in his heart about God, about tithing, so is he or she. So I want you to stop with your mind, stop your mind from whatever's going on right now. Eyes open, just silently. I want you to ask God this question. Is what I'm thinking about stuff pleasing to you? And if you really want to go deep today, ask God this. God, would you reveal anything that I'm thinking that's not pleasing to you? We just went deep if you prayed that prayer because God will answer that prayer. Now, we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000 today and we're going to look at it a little bit differently than we have in the past. 
You need to understand the context. When, when Jesus lived, they only counted men. They didn't count women. They didn't, adult women and children. They didn't count anybody but the men because the men were the legal representatives of the day. The Bible says there were 5,000 men, um, that Jesus, um, fed that day. And, and so if you think about it, if there's 5,000 men, there's probably 5,000 women or, or more. And there's probably five to 10,000 children, um, because the families would come out and listen to Jesus. That means, 20,000 people could have been there that day when Jesus was going to feed them. That's like filling, that's like feeding the American Airlines Center filled to capacity. That's what that is. Any of y'all been there? It's where the Mavericks play. I've been on the top row, the last seat. Those tall dudes don't look so tall when they're down there, you know, when they're, when they're microscopic. But that's the idea. That's a lot of bread to feed those many seats filled with hungry people. Let's pick up the story in Mark chapter 6, verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Here's what's going on. Jesus had just sent out the 12 disciples. He'd given them power uh, over demons. He'd given them power to heal. They come back and they're telling him what happened. Jesus, it was awesome. All this stuff happened. And then as they're doing that in, in Mark's account, they hear about John the Baptist being beheaded. Great victory this terrible kick in the gut about John the Baptist being beheaded. And Jesus says, it's time to go to a solitary place and let's recharge. So they get in a boat. The Sea of Galilee is wide open in most places. And you can see for miles around the coast. So it'd be real easy for them to figure out where Jesus was going. If he's going directly across, they could figure that out. If he's going at an angle, they could figure that out. Because they ran ahead and got there before him, I figure he was kind of going at a little bit of an angle. And they said, we're going to get there. Look what it says. Um, they ran on foot all the towns, from all the towns, and they got there ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it is late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. You're telling the Son of God, the creator of the universe, there's not much out here. Did you know that? And by the way, do you realize how long you've been talking That's rather presumptuous of his followers, right? We do it all the time. God, I don't think you know what you're doing. God, are you listening to me? Because it doesn't seem like you're listening to me because you're not doing what I want you to do. Many times I think God is saying, you're exactly where you are because of the choices you made to ignore me and my word. But God, but God, and God says, no, you do this. I'm obligated to be involved. You ignore this. You're on your own. It's what a loving father will do. So he says, he has compassion on them, teaches them. And, and anyway, so he says, uh, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Jesus, would you look at the time? Send the people away that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages. And what's that word? Everybody say Bye. Y'all just get used to it. You're going to have to say several words today. Everybody say bye. They were focused on the word by. Remember that. Go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Peter comes up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, man, this sermon is lit. It's amazing. That 18th point you just made. I'm going to tweet that. Good stuff. I could stay here all day, but um, you know the sun. Well, of course, you know it. You made it. Huh? It's going down. Did you notice? It's going down and, and, you know, I could stay all day, but, but, but there's no chilies in Palestine. 
What? There is, never mind. No, no, no. That, that doesn't matter. The, the closest restaurant is miles away, Jesus. And, and Peter and Andrew, you know, they're kind of divas when they get hungry. And we ran out of Snickers in the boat on the way over. So, dude, we're in trouble. Don't you think you should wrap it up? Again, telling the God of the universe, your sermon's too long. I hear that all the time. I'm not the God of the universe. That's all right. Just get over it. But to tell God, you've been talking too long, God. That's just weird to me. The disciples were focused on what word you said it? Buy. They were worried about the cost. Mine, 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 mine. You want me to give some of mine? Look what Jesus says. He uses a different word. You give them something to eat. What did Jesus say? Everybody say give. You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Mine, 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 mine. The disciples were preoccupied with how much it was going to cost, how much they were going to have to spend. Jesus didn't say anything about how much they were going to have to spend. He said, you give them something to eat. Yesterday, God told our church, you give them something to wear. And because we've been doing this six or seven years, I don't even know how long we've been giving out free food, uh, free clothing. Um, Brian and Charlotte Swallow, they started the hymn ministry where we have food over here in, in our house. And, and a few years ago, they said, hey, can we give away food too? And the first time we did it, I don't know, it was, we had a lot of rain and it was kind of a small crowd. Last year, I put it on, um, on uh, for sale in Anderson County. And I think there were 88, somewhere between 88 and 100 families that came. And we ran out of food last year, so we did more. We had all kinds of stuff. And so yesterday, 174 families came through here. That's the parking lot. I had to go to, we ran out of registration cards. So I had to drive to Office Depot and make some more cards. That's just the front. You could not find a parking place until you got down here past this, this first or second row. You had to go all the way to the back to find a, a parking place. There were people in line from our main entrance all the way down here to the end of the covered drop-off. They were wrapped around out into the parking lot for about two and a half hours because I kept thinking, surely it's going to shrink and people just kept coming and kept coming. So there's what it looked like when we first opened it. Um, there's clothes everywhere and you can't even see there was clothes back here in the back stacked up and as stuff would start to run out, we'd bring it in. We eventually ran out of most of the clothes. We thought we would have way more than enough, but when 170 families come, that's, that's a lot. And then we also had haircuts. One of my favorite things yesterday was haircuts. Whenever one of the, I don't we don't even know how many haircuts they did. Three ladies were back there, three chairs. If a chair was empty, I'd start running around. Hey, free haircuts. It was awesome to see God moved in our church yesterday. He said, you give them something to wear. You give them something to eat. And some of you were ridiculously generous. And others of you flat out missed an opportunity. And I don't know if this is why you didn't give, but could it be that you were worried about the cost? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm just saying that you may have been like the disciples and said, this, it costs too much. I can't give some of my clothes because then what am I going to wear? I can't give some of my food because what am I going to eat? I can't give some of my time on a Saturday because that's my time on a Saturday. I can't tell you how many times I am so meddling right here. How many times people will tell me the reason they don't come to church? That's the only day of the week I have to myself. It makes me afraid for their life. Because God says, you put me first. I believe the first part of my day belongs to God. I believe the first day of the week belongs to God. I believe the first part of my income belongs to God. 
And I believe that comes from his word. Every time we talk about this, people say, you don't understand how much that costs. Jesus did what he often does when we come to him looking for answers. He answers their question with a question. And because it's Jesus, you know this is going to be a profound question, right? Here it is. Jesus asked him, what do you have? Jesus doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. He does ask us to give some of what we do have. Look what he says in verse 38. How many loaves do you have? They didn't know. Many of you don't know how many clothes you have because you never looked at it. Many of you do not know how much money you have because you ignore your budget. You, you just hope, if I, if I don't pay attention to it, maybe it'll go away. It's like a lot of people ignore death until they're sitting at a funeral. A loved one is right there, and then they start thinking about death. I think if you know it's coming, a wise person will prepare. It's the same thing with money. They didn't know. He said, go and find out. So they went and found out. They said, five loaves. Oh, and burn, bonus, two perch. Now, you need to understand. When we say loaves of bread, it's not like going to Walmart and getting a loaf of bread. It's not even like getting the, the French bread. No, no, no. We're talking about like a, a honey butter chicken biscuit from, from Whataburger. We're talking about a biscuit without the chicken, but maybe not. And it's not even a perch. I don't like catching perch because they're kind of a waste of my time. I like catching largemouth bass because they give me a fight. Sand bass give me a fight. Striper, that's fun. When you're fishing for sand bass and you get into striper, that's fun. Perch, I'm like, oh man, that is such a waste of time. This young man, this little boy who gave his meal, his lunch, it wasn't even as big as a perch. You're basically talking about bait. Five biscuits and a couple of pieces of bait is all they had. Now, the disciples viewed it from the um, scarcity mindset. These were streetwise guys. Streetwise. They, they were street guys. They knew. They said, Jesus is not enough. They got together and said, Jesus is not enough. They had a vote. It's not enough. It's not enough. This is the first committee in Christian church history telling the Son of God, you don't have enough to do ministry. And I'm, I'm not making this up. This was in my devotional this week. Warren Wearsby, I'm in, I'm in the book of Numbers. And he said, some man has said, a committee is a group of people who individually can do nothing and collectively decide nothing can be done. That right there is why we don't have committees in this church. We do have teams. If you ever act like a committee, we will kick you off the team. I, anyway. The committee looks at it and they said, it's ridiculous how little we have compared to how much we need. Have you ever been there? Your car breaks down and it's ridiculous how much you need compared to what you have. The word cancer comes up and, and all of a sudden when you, when you or a loved one has cancer, it focuses everything to what's most important. When Hannah had her emergency appendectomy, I believe it was right at 33 or $34,000 for her appendectomy. And our, our uh, deductible was $10,000. And we had an emergency fund of $1,000. Do that math. And so we just started paying what we could. And those bill collectors would call and they say, when are you going to pay? And Janie's awesome with bill collectors. She said, you're going to get whatever I pay you. And you should be happy about it because I, I don't have to give you that. And she would just pay and we paid it off. Here's the deal. If, if, if your bank account is your savior, you're going to live in fear all the days of your life. 
We just believed we would pay out and God allowed us to pay it off over about three years and, and we got out of that debt and, and now we're completely out of debt. We have a totally different financial situation because God has blessed us because we look to him to be our savior, not our bank account. Jesus viewed the, the situation from the lens of provision. Here's, here's the provision cycle. God provides, same thing as, as in the, the, the other one. We give first. We give. When we give, God multiplies. When God multiplies it, it increases our faith and we give more and you get on the provision cycle. Jesus viewed it from the provision cycle, not from the other cycle. And, and see, Jesus understood a name of Jesus, of God that the, that the disciples didn't. He understood that one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Some of you've never experienced God as provider because you've never trusted him with anything, much less your money. So you can't know him as provider until you trust him as provider. I think Jesus had a sparkle in his eyes. He was about to introduce his followers in the American Airlines Center to God, the one who provides. Five loaves of bread and two fish. The disciples said it's not enough. Jesus says, it's more than enough. You just don't understand God's math. So write this down. Scarcity asks the question, what can I afford? Someone who operates on the scarcity cycle is obsessed with how much is this going to cost me? But someone who knows God as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, asks, what do I have? What do I have that someone else can use? And, and do you know why they ask this question? Because they know the one who is their provider has an infinity of whatever it is he wants us to give. He has, he has all the money he could ever need. He can, he can do whatever he wants to. So if I give one dollar, that's nothing to God. If I give a hundred, if I give a thousand dollars, that's nothing to God. And, and I've got to tell you, I told you last week, we talked about the, the firstborn. We talked about the, whether animal or human belong to God. And we talked about whether it's unclean or clean or whatever. I, I never saw this coming. I got a phone call the next day said, Hey, you were talking about the firstborn. I want to, I want to give the firstborn of my cattle, my firstborn calf. We're going to, we're going to have it slaughtered and we're going to give it to the church. How do you want it? And talked about how we want it. We're going to get about 500 pounds of meat that we're going to give to all of those families that were here yesterday. We'll contact them and say, hey, we got some meat. You want it? We'll deliver it to them. Never, I never saw that coming whenever I just talked about this last week. I got chill bumps when I was talking about it. I get chill bumps talking about it now. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He just gave us one. That's pretty awesome. I get excited about that. I don't know about y'all. God has everything. And when we trust him, he provides. And check this out. He's so powerful that when he speaks, things come into existence that didn't exist before. So are you really going to not trust him? We offer what we have. This is who we are. This is what our church does is we offer what we have. Many people have the mindset that, that when my bank account is bigger, when I'm doing better, that's when, I'm, that's when I'll give. I'm just telling you, if that's your belief, you're lying to yourself. It's not going to happen. If you can't be trusted with 10 bucks, you're not going to be trusted with 1,000 or 10,000. If you live with this fear and scarcity mindset, fear and and scarcity will follow you all the days of your life. That's not God's purpose for you. Look what Jesus said. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it. What's that word? Abundantly. That's a pretty good word. 
The thief, if you're not living the abundant life, it's because the thief is stealing your joy. He's stealing your passion. He's stealing something from you. Now, I'm not saying that that you're going to be crazy rich. I'm just saying God gets to decide what abundance he's going to pour out on your life. There are people in Haiti that live the abundant life and they don't have electricity or running water. They've learned the secret of contentment. And, and we, we kind of go down there sometimes and we, we look like, oh, how, how, how sad, how poor. They look at us like we're, we're crazy because they, if they have enough food for the day, they praise God for that. If they have their family underneath one roof, they praise God for that. They're living an abundant life and they don't have all the stuff we have. Maybe abundance isn't stuff. Look at the next verse. This is one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do, what are those two words? Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's not enough to be abundant. This is exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power he's talking about is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. To him, God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Everything about the nature of God is extravagant. It's more than enough. It's abundant. It's exceedingly abundant. If you're not living a life of abundance, you're not reflecting your heavenly father. As long as I stay close to him, I will have more than enough. I know God as as not just my provider. He's my father. And we sing all the time about he's a good, good father. We sang it today. We just don't live like he's a good father. So how do you do this? How do you live in this abundance? Well, just remember a couple of things. Number one, God multiplies what he blessed. What is blessed? Sorry. Pick this up in Mark six thirty nine, And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the grass. They sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. God multiplies what he blessed. Jesus blesses the food. By the way, don't ever say you're going you're gonna to give the blessing. You ask God's blessing. Jesus could give the blessing because he's God. Anyway, that's just a pet peeve. And he broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Say, what? The American Airlines Center didn't have one honey butter chicken biscuit. It wasn't an appetizer. They all ate and were satisfied. How many of you just eat one biscuit and that's a no? They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and also of the fish. Everyone say leftovers. There were leftovers from what happened here. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. The blessing over God over anything in our lives, the blessing of God over anything in our lives is a powerful thing. The way it relates to finances is we said that, that we return the tithes to God. We talked about this last week. Um, whenever you return the tithe to God, it belongs to God. And he says, he will bless you if you return the tithe. Um, this is holy and it's set apart. Look what it says in, in Malachi three ten. bring the whole tithe. The tithe you need to understand is not 10% of your income. The tithe is the first 10% of your income. If you don't believe that, read about Cain and Abel, listen to last week's sermon, do a Bible study on it. The tithe is the first 10%. So bring the first 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle or it was the temple. In the New Testament, that's the, the church. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Say floodgates of heaven. Oh, this is big, and I can't wait to tell you this. And pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough to store it. The, the term floodgates of heaven is used four times in the scripture. It's used here in Malachi, it's used in Isaiah, it's used in Second Kings. But when a, when a Jew, a Hebrew would hear 
the, the term floodgates of heaven, they would remember the very first time it was used in scripture. It's in the book of Genesis. It was written by Moses about the flood in Noah's time. The Bible says that the floodgates of heaven opened up and the rains came down. There's going to be 20, 30 inches of rain down here. That's nothing compared to the floodgates of heaven. When God opened the floodgates of heaven, it came down. What do we know about the flood? It was a ridiculous amount of rain and there was not a single place on earth that was not touched. Now you need to understand this. We, we gotta, we gotta do this. This is significant. And, and so I want you to, I want you to say this. You're going to say the words in the parentheses and you're going to say them loud, right? You're going to say them with enthusiasm because we're playing a game. And I like it when you have enthusiasm. If God is a God of details. Yes. Oh dude, that's awesome. I'm going to have to play. I'm going to get this recording and play it service because I had to really work on the first service. All right, wait, we've got to do that again. Y'all just shocked me. If God is a God of details, and if he never does anything by accident, then this must be significant. Y'all remember this because God never, never does anything by accident. It is significant that he used the term floodgates of heaven. God says, if you'll trust me with the first 10% of your income, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not be able to contain it. God's words, not mine. Floodgates of heaven. God has a ridiculous amount of blessing to give and there's no part of your life that will not be touched when you trust him. And and here's the other thing. There's no part of the world that won't be touched when you trust him either. How's that? Well, number two, God multiplies what is given to him. You see, I believe we're going to be embarrassed when we get to heaven and we see God's ridiculous riches. I think we're going to be embarrassed that we didn't know him as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. I think we'll we'll be blown away that we dared not trust him. Jesus broke the bread. Broke the bread (laughs) broke the bread he gave the disciples and and here's what's significant the miracle happened when jesus blessed it and he, he he broke it but when did the miracle end was it when everybody had just enough it wasn't like they said, it wasn't like they said, oh, Jesus, good thing there was a fifth biscuit. If there'd only been four biscuits, you'd have been in trouble because you wouldn't have had enough to do this ministry. This would have been a failure. No, everybody had more than enough. You see, this story doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that some little boy gave his Hebrew happy meal to Jesus and he gets more in return, more than enough. He was one of those that was satisfied. Here you go, Jesus, here's all that I have. And he satisfies 20,000 people that day. It doesn't make sense unless Jesus is God's son. See, everything about Jesus, about following him is counterintuitive, countercultural. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it for his sake. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to serve others. Jesus said, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Maybe that's why there's not a lot of greatness in the church in America. Because it costs too much. If we want to see miracles happen today, we need to offer to God what we have. Look what Proverbs eleven twenty four says. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. See, stingy people try to refresh themselves. God has no promise for you. 
you refresh others, you'll be refreshed. Let me leave you with the words of Jesus from Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all these other things will be added to you as well. Will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. See, Jesus knows that giving, that generosity is the antidote to materialism. Satan knows it too. So the forces of heaven, the forces of hell are colliding for your mind, for, for your heart. And there's a battle going on. And every time I give, every time I bring the tithe and when I give over and above the tithe, I'm releasing my grip on stuff. And stuff releases its grip on me. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for blessing us beyond what we deserve. And we pray that we would be brutally honest at this moment. Keep, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I, I want to know how many of you would say, when it comes to my fa- finances, I tend to live out of fear and not abundance. It's quite a few of us. So I want you to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud and, and you can pray it loud or, or quietly, however you want to do it. God, would you teach me that you are Jehovah Jireh? my provider. Would you teach me what a good God you are and then I can always trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.